0: Super Nintendo World in Hollywood has an opening date. And massive investment is announced for Saudi Arabia. All that and more coming up on today's show. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything we do are in the show notes. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and discuss why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged series co-hosted by Scott Swenson and myself. And check back tomorrow for our weekly Haunt news roundup. Okay, here's this week's installment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Ah, oh, from our studios in Orlando and Abu Dhabi. Ah, this is Green Tag Theme Park and Thirty. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development, who is still in Abu Dhabi. Yes, well, Hello, Scott. welcome
1: back to Yaz Island. Um, I'm in my I'm in my hotel, and there's Yaz Island behind me. If you're watching the video, well, there's the reflection of my kitchen with uh, Yaz Island behind you. But anyway, <laughs> um, yep, still here in the UAE, and. Uh, I'm gonna be home for the Christmas holidays, but uh, then I will be back um, for a lot of next year. So uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least the first half yeah.
0: well, we'll 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 get to some of that later about uh, some of the development there in the area. But our first story here is that we have an opening date officially for Super Nintendo World at usH, and it's February seventeenth, yeah, so, you know we've we've been talking about this forever we've known it's been coming etc cetera, etc cetera, but they have officially put up the splash page on the website which is great and they have put out the press release with the official date and of course the main features of this land is going to be the mario kart bowser's challenge which is the ride with the the ar kind of uh, ride where you're riding through and competing and then the power up bands which are the kind of interactive gameplay elements of it and then the toadstool cafe and the one-up factory so it's a much smaller and single level versus multi-level uh installation but it's still very exciting especially for the teams that we know that are working on mm-hmm. it uh, and i'm so curious to see how the the power bands are going to work in the smaller environment and how all that interactive gameplay is going to work because to me that's really what set the land of far and above kind of different from other lands you know in the same way that We had Harry Potter, and we had the idea of wands and people being able to cast spells. Now we have this Super Mario area where people can do interactive gameplay. And I don't know, just side note, not that I want to rant here, but you know, it's my little mini soapbox is that, you know, with our torch technology at Gantum, it can do this exact thing as the wearables. And I think I pitched this to so many people, I was like... Imagine they could have an object or a wristband or anything, you know, anything, and they could go around and they could complete certain tasks around the land and it could keep track of the score. And then it could even open doors or let them in or into areas. And everybody's like, that's too complicated. I'm just, I'm just saying now here we are. Thank
1: you for a word from our sponsor. And now, back <laughs> to the show. Uh, no, that, it, again, what I think we're, what I think we're recognizing here is that, um, technology is technology is technology. And as long as you, you have to find someone who has decided I'm going to integrate this technology in a way that is, um, a way to, conf- to reinforce storytelling, a way to increase, um, engagement, uh, immersion agency, whatever. And, um, mm-hmm. so it, it sounds like that's what's happened. I mean, no, it's, it's not a Gantam torch, but, um, It's, it is pretty much the same technology and, or comparable technology. You know, it, it kind of goes back to, um, kind of goes back to with, with Apple, you know, in a, in an interview, they, they basically talked about, they didn't invent the MP3 player. They just put it into everybody's hands. They found a way to make it sexy and, and integrated, you know, there's uh, technology has to be, um, easily consumable in order for it to hit a mass market. And this is these, these power up bands, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, with, with the, the Disney magic bands and all that people are getting used to that technology. They're getting comfortable with that technology. Um, new technology has a learning curve and it's got to be consumable yeah. and easy. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, even though it seems unrelated, it's the same basic theory, uh, here on Yas Island. And they're doing the same in Dubai. They're, uh, testing, um, they're testing autonomous vehicles and I have taken autonomous cabs right now. They're free. Um, but I've taken two, three, three or four different trips, um, in what is called the robo taxi. And, uh, it's, you basically call it up on your phone, like you would an Uber, you tell it where you want to go. Um, but because they're still testing it, there is a quote unquote safety officer sitting in the front seat to make sure that, you, um, well, they claim that it's to make sure that the technology is working properly. I honestly believe that's part of it, but I think it's equally as important to get people to build their confidence in the fact that the car is yeah. driving itself and the car is is, yeah. is adjusting to its own environment. So it's finding ways to take that technology, whether it's a, a Gantam torch or a, an autonomous taxi, it's taking that technology and making it so that consumers feel comfortable using it. And, um, you know, in this particular case, it, it makes, it improves their experience. And are they, you know, we're going to have to find out how much are they going to be willing to pay to, to in essence, level up their gaming experience at, uh, at Super Nintendo world. So it sounds as though they found a way now that, you know, magic bands are common wands are common. Um, yeah. this is just the next the next level of that and it's it's not too complicated anymore because now it's been proven you know it's a proven yeah. it's a proven technology so um i'm excited for it i mean i am i i'm excited for the
0: land you know to, to see i think the ride itself as well also represents another again another leap forward in technology um you know it's like those type of of coasters have existed you know in of course for a while in other places but just you know the idea of it being in in one of the you know u.s parks so close to the epicenters and you putting on the the vrs and going around and then having this another another interactive piece similar to the wands i i think it's it's all steps in the right direction of figuring out ways again to add Add more unique, you know, individualized experiences. Kind of like like we would be talking about forever. How do you give an individual experience to a mass amount of people? And how do you add more layers of stuff to do in in you know in these areas? Because you can change around, you know, you can change around where the power ups are. You can change everything around just like a regular game. How do you make that more interactive? And I, I think it's a great idea. Of course, the technology has to be essential, right? Because I'm I'm remembering even just. A few weeks ago, we did the Christmas tree trail scavenger hunt thing at, you know, Disney Springs, and it's just like a, a piece of paper and you go find Christmas trees that are, you know, it's like a, uh, you put, put the sticker on when you found the right tree, right? So, you know, the technology does have to be integrated. And I think that the, that the IP pairing and, and just the whole premise is all really well, because it, it really does make it feel like you're in game. So I'm excited overall.
1: Yeah. Again, I, I am not a huge gamer, but I do recognize, I do recognize the, uh, the engagement that this will allow or encourage. Uh, I I just, like I said, it's just got to be technology on its own is not entertainment. And I think we have to make sure that, I I think you hit the nail on the head when you said the right integration of the right IP, um, because the IP itself appeals to gamers. So when you're doing an an intellectual property that appeals to gamers and you're giving it a gaming element uh, or an integrated Engagement element um, that just kind of is a no brainer. That makes total sense to me. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how it all pans out. Um, I'm hoping it uh, I'm hoping it goes well. I think it's cool.
0: Well, over in your neck of the woods, uh, there's there's also been some news. The Saudi Entertainment Ventures, a wholly owned subsidiary of the public investment fund, has announced its commitment to invest the equivalent of 13.3 billion US dollars to develop 21 integrated entertainment destinations with over 150 innovative attractions in partnership with prominent international brands across 14 cities in Saudi Arabia. Construction of their first entertainment destination uh, has already begun. And they kind of gave a little preview of some of the ips they'll be working with which includes clip and climb warner brothers discovery mattel for its hot wheels brand and hasbro for its transformers and play-doh brands uh, so again I, this is another i think story that encapsulates what we've been talking about a while and why of course scott is where <laughs> he is this kind of the the idea of the amount of investment that is that is going into these areas to try and develop them as tourism destinations uh, that's a massive massive i mean 13 billion dollars is is a lot for for essentially for fecs right with with licensing deals kind of spread uh, all throughout the area um but again I, I just every time i see these stories um i think a we we hear a lot of stuff that doesn't always materialize right like they're like this is the plan mm-hmm. right but you're like okay is it going to go according is it just are they going to stop it at number three you know or where how are we going to get to all these uh things and then Two is that, you know, we've, I'm curious to get Scott's on the, on boots on the ground kind of reporting, because as far as I can tell, the numbers never really got to where they were supposed to be. You know, the, the theory was set up all the stuff. And then when the World Expo comes in, it will really push it into the world spotlight. And then after the World Expo, you'll get that residual tourism because now people feel, you know, they they've been there already. So they want to go back because they see everything that was, you know, the, the rough plan, right? And then, then also bringing in people from the local areas, the neighboring areas, whatnot. And it seems to me like the numbers have never gotten there. So, are, I mean, are we really gonna? Are they really gonna make twenty-one destinations across fourteen cities? When I feel like the numbers are struggling, I don't know. I don't know, Scott. You tell me. You're there. Well,
1: again, and I, I'm clearly no expert. I've been here for you know a week and a half, so I, I'm I'm not at all an expert. But I have had the opportunity to talk to people um working on various projects um, those some who have been op- some that are open some that are in development uh, some that have already opened and closed um, or moved on uh, i will say that let's let's kind of break this down a little bit uh, first of all if they say and i don't know whether saudi is the same as the uae but um i'm assuming it's similar if they say they are going to do 14 cities they will end up doing 14 cities um, mm. the nice thing about, uh, the UAE as I'm seeing it. And as I'm hearing more and more stories about it is there is not a, a change. So the, the, the countries here seem to be set up more like businesses than, than political groups. Um, and mm. there's not going to be a shift from, uh, one party to another from y- every four years, um, longer term projects actually have more of a likelihood of becoming a reality. Um, this is this is something that I've heard from several people um, who now live here, uh, you know expats from from both the UK and from the United States. and they have pointed out that since um, since the government, although it is and again,'m I'm, I'm speaking for the UAE and I, I assume Saudi is similar, um, since the government is run by, a family, but it's a family of working people. You're not just given a a title and then sit back and don't do anything. You are expected to work and do a specific job within the government. So therefore, the there there is there isn't that upheaval of change, number one, and number two, it is run significantly, everything here is run significantly more like a business, um so that there is a control over here is where our economy is going as opposed to, you know, mm. more of a, more of a free market system, which, uh, you can say, here's where we think we're going to go, but it, it flows. However it flows, you know, it, hmm. So I, I, to start with that little chunk from, from my experience thus far, I think that it is very likely that we will see these 14 cities, um, invest. Now, whether they're going to be successful or not, I don't know. And, the, the other thing that I'm learning is when investments are made here, they're invested. They're, they're long-term. They're not short-term. Mm. They don't want to, you know, it, it, there used to be, a, a an unspoken rule with some of some of the companies that i worked for before in the, in the States where they will say, we, uh, we need to see a profit by year four, yeah, you know, I'm those sure. kinds of, those kinds of things are not put into place here. Um, they try to manage, they try to manage the investment, believe it or not, on the spend side versus the, uh, the income side, because I think they recognize that people aren't necessarily coming to this part of the world. Um, but the other thing that I think is very interesting, and, and, you know, you've heard Philip and I talk way too much about intellectual property and attaching to various Mm -hmm. brands. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. all you have to do, certainly here uh on Yaz Island is to go to the Yaz Mall and you will see that this part of the world loves brands, loves recognizable <laughs> brands. There are brands here that have brick and mortar stores in the mall that have not been in the United States for years. Um mm. shopping at a border's books the other day. Um I I bought I went to a I went to I didn't buy anything, but I went to a Toys R Us um here a uh, brick and mortar Toys R Us in the mall. Um, there's a Tim Hortons restaurant here for my our Canadian listeners. Um, there is every, every major fast food chain here. Um, they love brand names. They love recognizable brands. And not just the lower end, but also the higher end brands. There's a Michael Kors store right next to the Toys R Us. So um, not really next to, but close to. And uh, so I, I think that getting those intellectual properties, and if you notice, um, the majority of them are brands that are recognized specifically from the United States. And, Mm. um, so that is, that is a, there's a great deal of popularity there that there's a great deal of desire to see those kinds of things here. Um, recognizable brands are, uh, oddly popular here. So, so that's, that's also interesting. Um, and then the only other, the only other point that i have is uh although expo didn't necessarily bring in the people um the the guests to this area i do see it you know like in my hotel on weekends the hotel is significantly fuller and it's full of people from europe it's full of people from india um, who are traveling on holiday So, so it's it's brought a recognition but more importantly it's brought the people who have, who are forming the infrastructure to make these things work. I am, I have talked to in the last five days, I have talked to at least four people who came to the area to work Expo and never left. Um, Uh. so what it's done, Expo may have, may not have brought the, the focus and opened the floodgates of tourists, but what it has done is it has brought some, key players or some, some experienced players in the industry to this part of the world. And many of them are sticking around. And I just had a discussion today with uh, a mutual friend actually of, of Phillips and mine, um, who was involved with the haunt industry for years and then came here. Uh, and he basically said, if you want to work, um, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Saudi are all uh very very viable options and he said it the reason for it is the mentality here is very different it's not nearly as cutthroat as it is in the states Um, because there is so much work if someone can't take work they will recommend someone else who who can do it uh, because it ends up making them look good in the long run he also said that if you get tired of being here and you want to go away if you go away for three months and then come back there's still plenty of work for you. You don't burn bridges by not taking every gig that you're offered. So, um, I, I think that it's, although, although Expo did not do exactly what we thought it was going to do, um, it did have a very positive effect uh, on the growing entertainment industry in this part of the world.
0: Yeah. I just, I think those are the talent is the most is, is the biggest key there because i remember when i last went it was in 2019 mm-hmm. you know in the before times bc before covid mm-hmm. and it was i i thought that the facilities were gorgeous and i i quite you know i quite enjoyed everything that we saw uh on the tour we toured contoured kind of everything the the biggest ones of the time and i just remember thinking like oh these are built for a lot of people and there's nobody here and relatively speaking no there's like there wasn't literally nobody but comparatively speaking you know to you know there's a lot of space and not a lot of people there but and then uh, also that the kind of the operators you know just <laughs> those things are like oh you just like loading people into the everything was a little rough around the edges as as we would consider it being from like the orlando or you know the, the hubs right more like uh, operators kind of hadn't figured out that kind of stuff yet so i think the talent piece is the bigger piece of it is like you know you need the know-how it's like it's like you can build a park but if you don't have the operations director with the experience to running capacity you're not going to be able to really make it into something
1: well and philip and i were talking before before we started recording the show and the, the reason uh, part of the reason that's still the case you know here we are quite mm-hmm. right a few years later I think part of the reason that's still the case is because they've never had to up their game. They've never had to be more Mm. efficient. And one of the things that I think is interesting just in the, in the, and I haven't seen many of the major attractions. I I've, I've been to a couple. Um, but, uh, just generally speaking, nothing from an operational standpoint, I'm not even talking about facilities. I'm talking about just from an operational standpoint because the facilities the facilities are are built to hold you know to hold the masses to hold um, mm-hmm. the size of crowds that you would get, maybe not in Orlando yet, but close um, where they're where they're still stumbling a little bit is how to utilize those facilities. in other words, um, I had to. For an attraction I was in, which shall remain nameless, but for an attraction that I was in, um, in order to ride a ride, it took them 10 minutes to get 30 people loaded onto the attraction. Uh, because the, the queue is huge. However, the entrance and the exit are in the same hallway. So, uh, it was, it was unique in the fact that you have people coming and going and nobody was upset about it. I mean, it was just, it's just a, a cultural thing that it's like, this is worth waiting for. So we'll sit here and wait. And uh, again, a 10 minute wait at a major Orlando theme park is nothing, but it just seems odd when you are, when you walk nonstop through the entire queue and then in the loading queue, that's where you wait the 10 minutes. So, um, if they did have the the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of guests, that would be a whole new story.
0: Yeah. It would break. Yeah.
1: Ugh. But again, the same is the same is true with the way they handle, um, like fast food restaurants, fast food restaurants. Uh, I, I ate at, uh, at, uh, at pizza hut the other day, um, for lunch and I put in my order, um, and I was given a ticket, which had a number. and then they've got a big uh, a big video monitor that has uh, numbers in pro- numbers processing and numbers being served. And you just watched that. And the fast food food court version of Pizza Hut took ten minutes. Mm. So um, yeah. they're just their their operational mindset is not the same. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's not the same as it is for Orlando, but it seems odd to people who are used to that because the facilities can hold thousands and thousands and thousands of people, yeah. and they're holding hundreds and hundreds, so.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Well, okay, well, we I'm sure we will talk much more about this uh, as the the months move on with uh, Scott seeing more and more in the area. Uh, so coming back to the US here, we got some wonderful news i think it's wonderful news uh, coming out from long beach the queen mary guided tours have resumed for the holiday season for the first time since march 2020 the city of long beach is officially welcoming visitors back on board for free queen mary guided tours beginning december 15th the landmark closed to the public in march 2020 due to covid pandemic and has remained closed while critical repairs were identified and conducted for the most of 2022 the city has worked to secure the structural stability and safety of the ship and this I read this from a Trashes magazine, but kind of buried near the bottom of of the release is, I think the big, the bigger story, which is also scheduled for completion in early twenty twenty three, is the installation of an emergency generator to power critical components of the ship. Basically, all the stuff they need to allow for reopening the ship's hotel and restaurants. So, I think that's the bigger thing. Is again that that theme of reopening and kind of reassembling, um, but gosh, it's been quite a while, almost three years, basically just shy of three years that it's been out, you know, that's been completely closed to the public. So it's exciting. They're opening for Christmas, but, um, the guided tours, but again, it seems to me like, um, (laughs) so basically they're just doing free first come first serve limited kind of capacity things that take people around on tours. But then it seems like that's really just a, uh, like a primer for the plan of opening in 2023 because why else I mean, they're not making it's free what it, i mean why else are the yeah you know it's kind of like
1: a, you have to yeah. reintroduce you have to reintroduce the brand you have to um make pretty much make people know we're not gone we're not uh, i'm not dead yet you know it's it's one of those you have to you have to let them continue to know that that there is there is a, uh, there is a Queen Mary and it is a historic landmark and that it does hold a very important place, um, in Long Beach and, uh, you know, having, having stayed there, um, it's, it was lovely. I mean, it was just a lot of fun and, and historically, um, quite, quite interesting. But, but again, I think, I think we're seeing this a lot. Um, again, chatting before the show, um, I had mentioned that uh three of three of my clients um former and and current um have made these huge announcements about big expansions happening anywhere over uh two years to five years to 20 years and uh you know it was like why why are people making these kinds of announcements why are they doing it now and yeah it's yeah. So and I think it is, it is odd. The thing I wanted to add to
0: also to complete the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So there's this holiday tours, there's, you know, the the zoos and that have been announcing their 20 year plans, you know, they're like, and then also this week we, we heard two big announcements, not scary farm announced their 50th season will begin September 14th, which is a, a week earlier than they opened this year. Uh, and then Bush gardens, said they're going to begin September 8th for their Halloween. So still kind of a little bit funny because you're like okay, no, it's 50th celebration. You still are not by by any stretch the the first people to open. But it's just it's interesting because we remember we talked about Horror Nights previously in Orlando announcing that like their first maze after like the like at we have Thanksgiving. I mean and then now we're getting It's still Mary Farm happening. And this is not, you you know, it's usual to announce your schedule. But like, you know, it's more like these events will return in the fall, you know, kind of a a thing. But now we're having specific dates for them, uh, which are earlier in the 50th celebration. So, uh, yeah, when you look at all this stuff together, I think it's a little odd because we're... It's the week before Christmas. I mean, I can't imagine people are really... Real, as, I mean, I'm thinking about Halloween all the time, but you know, it's like the week before Christmas and it's, and then especially with the zoo stuff, it's like, there's not really, you know, it's like, we're continuing the plan that we have had, that's going to continue for 20 years. And you're like, thank
1: you. Well, but I think that, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, I think there's a couple things play, coming into play here. I think number one, it's striking while the iron's hot. I think that, you know, if we have, yeah. if we have the ability, we've all, we finished talking about opening our Christmas events. Got it. That's done. Um, those are running. So now we have to have something new to talk about, and that is a great expansion. Um, I think that if it's a if it's like a uh, a nonprofit or a not for profit organization, like a zoo or an aquarium or whatever, um, I think the purpose is to show we have not uh, we as an organization have not uh, sort of knuckled under to COVID. We are we plan to move forward. We plan to move ahead, and. I'm not saying that I know this for certain because I, I honest to God do not know this for certain. Um, but it sounds almost like here's a reason to give to our cause. Here's a reason to make contributions because we're not going to be stagnant. We're not going to just, um, continue to offer the same old product. We're going to continue to grow and build and expand. And that's why you should continue to invest your money, um, or donate your money to this, this worthy cause, which will help conservation, which will help animals, which will help, um, you know, history or whatever, whatever the, the nonprofit is, is focused on. Um, and I, and I think you've got to start doing those, those long-term projections. Now, as Philip said earlier, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to happen. Um, -hmm. I think the intent is to have them happen. I think the real intent is to show that, um, the, the growth process exists. And the planning for for long term experiences exists, and uh, it gives us an opportunity to revisit the things that are already there. You know, um, so many of these zoos have great attractions that have been there forever, but people don't. You know, it's, you can't just say, "Hey, here's the X Y Z exhibit. We're still here." Uh, that doesn't that doesn't turn the turnstile. You got to keep saying, "Here's something new. Here's how we're going to expand, and here's where it's going to go." You know,
0: and why. Why announce the Halloween stuff? Is it is it like we is it to kinda like we talked about, kinda drawing the lines in the sand about like competition, like we put like kind of putting it out there so they can kind of begin because it's gonna be more competitive next year? Is that is that the thing? Perhaps there?
1: perhaps. Um I think you might also want to consider that uh the, the to not lump the the Bush announcement and the Knott's announcement together. Um I think Knott's probably announced it because it's their fiftieth it's a big year for
0: them.
1: Um, it's a, you know, it's a a milestone year. I think Bush probably announced because they're trying to play catch up with, uh, Universal Orlando, um, which announced not only when they're doing, but their first maze and, and all of that. So, you know, a lot of what happens in the industry, nothing in the industry happens in a vacuum. And, and I think, and I think it's important to recognize that, that when, when things happen, um, quite often, they happen as a response to something else, and th- I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's just the way nat- things naturally happen. And what is out there to, to quote <laughs> to quote a very dear friend of mine and, and someone I know, Philip knew as well, um, Robbie Laprie. Um, before she passed, Robbie has said many had said many many times when things are out there in the ethos, they come down and they become uh, they become acted upon by everybody in the industry. So. I think that it, whether it is conscious or subconscious or just happenstance, that when people start announcing, everybody starts announcing, and all the dominoes fall. I think that's kind of what's happening, and uh, it's not a bad thing. It's it's actually quite a good thing to see that there is uh, interest in reinventing and expanding what our uh, what our our fellow industry mates um, are offering and looking forward to in the future. Well, speaking of the future. Um, we're going to have to look towards the future for our next show because this is the end of this one. Um, our time is up. So on behalf of Philip and myself, Scott Swenson, um, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we will see you next week.
0: Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com slash demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Luis Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, haunters, stay scary.